We'll, uh, we'll do the little test here. So I, I told John after, the, after he sang that first service, I said, I, I would have turned my chair for you. Yeah, I got about the same level of response. Like, apparently not many people are watching The Voice anymore. So um, I th- I'm pretty sure that was John's way of telling us that he wrote the music for that song and the chorus. I think that was what he was saying in that, <laughs> that kind of self-deprecating way that John tells us stuff like that. But um, man, that was so... That was so great, and a great way to get started. Um, <clears throat> as we're continuing to have this conversation, and I know it doesn't feel much like a conversation to you because I have the mic, but the, uh, other than that, this has been a conversation for me because I wasn't sure where this series would end from when it started. And, uh, and I'm still not sure because next week we'll wrap us up when we get to Mother's Day and we talk through some of this, and, and, and I'm not getting, I mean, if, if first service is any uh, indicator, I'm not going to get that far through, which is fine. Um, there's some great stuff, and, and in fact, I want to straight up apologize. Like, the, the main emphasis of the, the scripture passages that we're going to dive into, I didn't even make it to that, the first service. So it's not that, that there wasn't scripture in the first service in the way we engaged with it, but I don't want you to think like that this isn't, this isn't engaged, this isn't immersed in Scripture. It's just that that's a, like, I'm not going to get to all of it in this, first, in this service. So I, I apologize for that. I did not plan it that way, um, but that's okay. We'll, we'll, there's pl- still plenty there. And uh, we, we actually, I'm going to reference web, web page in a minute under the heading of refreshment, but just to kind of explain why, why John is taking pictures over there is because our webpage is now up and running. So southspring.org is in place. Um, when I get boring here in a second, you can run over to it on whatever screen you've got in front of you and check it out. Um, it is excellent, and, but a but number of the pictures and stuff need to be updated and fixed. And, and, uh, but, but, so go check it out. Send us emails if you're missing anything. If we see you, you're like, hey, how is this not there? And, and uh, send that to John. John has been the point person on this project, and uh, it's pretty sweet. So we're excited. All right, so this idea of, of refocusing, which is where we're getting today, we started with refreshment, and again, the idea isn't refreshing like, hey, I'm going to take a nap, uh, I'm going to go lay, in, in the, you know, lay on the ground for a while, or in a hammock, or whatever, like, I'm going I'm to, that's how, refreshment is the idea that Scripture teaches when it talks about God refreshing, uh, God resting and being refreshed, it seems to be that the Hebrew idea of refreshed wasn't just hey, I'm, I'm tired and I need more energy. It was, I need to, I am re-engaging with the truth of, of who I really am. And that's, that's the refreshment that we're talking about. Refocus. Um, it's like, like I was saying, like refreshing a web page um, is the idea. Like it's, there's been change. There's, there's been things that have, that have been adjusted and I need to refresh that so that I can engage with that. That's the that's the idea, something to, uh, or maybe a, a player coming on the field after taking a break, like the, that they're refreshed, they're ready to engage in a new way, the truth of who they are. But that seems to be the idea here. So rest is real, and we've talked about rest, and there's a whole sermon series from last year on rest. Um, rest is really about the, the physical limitations that we as humans have. We have been given a, a limitless calling, but we are limited beings um, and so that's, we need to rest. That's God leads us to that. But here's what struck me is how often the idea that we would rest on Sunday morning is something that, that really doesn't make a lot of sense. This isn't the time to rest. Everyone's coming together. There are ministry opportunities galore. We usually don't have all this many people to engage with. And so Sunday morning, if you're coming as a minister, which all our members are supposed to be, then there should be places of ministry where we engage 
This isn't the time to physically take a break. It is, however, a time to be refreshed. And so next week when I dive into these passages and remind you of Jesus saying, after ministering, saying there's a food that you know nothing about. Or, or, or when Jesus in the Matthew 11 and 12 talks about taking on his burden, his yoke, and then saying, and I will find rest for your souls. Not just rest for your body, rest for your souls, but it involves carrying the burden that God gives us, the, the burden that Christ gives us. So that's what we're going to be engaging with, living out the truth of who we are is where we apparently truly find refreshment. And I, I didn't know that when I started this sermon series. That is, that is where we find it, when we live according to the truth of who we are. And there's so many of these. Here's a few examples for those of us who are Christ followers. This is, these are identities he's bestowed upon us. We don't, we don't get a vote. Once we've decided to follow him and we accept the free gift of the right relationship with Almighty God, there are certain things he bestows upon us. These are now true of you. You can live according to their truth or not, but you can't make them not true. Um, that, that we are salt and light, that we're a city on a hill. Those, those are examples. We are children adopted by him. Um, that we are ambassadors. An, an ambassador is someone who, who um, represents the, the, the citizenry of their home in a strange place. And so our, our home is not fundamentally here. Um, we, we aren't really citizens of even the United States, much less citizen, citizens of the world. That's not fundamentally our citizenship. If we're a Christ follower, we're citizens of heaven. And that's the only relief and comfort we have when life here ends, when our citizenship here gets stamped out finally, that the truth is we, that the only comfort, which isn't a ton of comfort emotionally because of how limited we are in our understanding, but the truth is we get to go home. And, and sometimes it's hard for us to embrace with that because, I mean, life is good here too, but that is the truth. We get to go home. We are citizens. We are priests. We represent God to people. We, we come before people to tell them about our God, who we lead them to worship. That's the priesthood of all believers. That is one of the basic tenets that separated out, so you'll know, in the early church, even the early Reformed church, that separated out the Baptists from many of the other early Reformed people is, is that we were such hard liners about the priesthood of believers that every single follower of Jesus Christ is a priest. That the calling to the, calling to the, the ministry in Matthew 28 and other places in Scripture, that is for all of us. Um, that, that, and that's what Scripture teaches. A great example this morning, as, as two dads are baptizing their, their children, um, when Amelia uh, is being baptized and her verse comes up, her, her verse was um, from Psalm 37. So listen to this and how this fits perfectly. I, I did not have this in my sermon. Should have, but didn't. Um, how perfectly this fits in with what we're talking about. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. What, what a beautiful picture of the fact that we are to live out both of these things. That, that we commit our way to the Lord and he is the one who acts. That we trust in the Lord and we do good. He is the one who gives us the desires of our heart. 
that we seek to do what God has called us to do, to live according to the truth of who we are. And he plays out the consequences. If you don't know this, this is the fundamental Christian ethic. If you ask, like, I don't know how to make right and wrong decisions well, here is the fundamental guideline of Christian ethics right here. We do what we believe God would have us do. We do our very best to do what is right. The consequences of doing what is right is God's problem, not ours. We are not have a consequence-based ethic. That's not how Christians are supposed to make decisions. We do our very best to make wise decisions, so certainly we're aware of consequences, but we do what we believe God is calling us to do that is right, and then he acts in regards to consequences. Sometimes doing what you think is right can get you killed. And so if you're always only making decisions based on consequences, we will miss out on what is right. Doing what is right may cost us. It certainly will make us tired, which is what we're going to get, some of what we're going to get into today. Um, there's no doubt that, that when we do that, that is the case. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, um, wait, am I getting there too quickly? I am missing something from my notes. Literally as in, oh, there it is. Okay, good. I got it. Good. We're good. Okay, I just need to get this out of my way for a second. So I want to give you guys some ideas. Part of how we make these mistakes is because we have wrong thinking um, about, um, we have wrong beliefs about stuff. And so I'm going to show you, this is a therapeutic model um, that's called REBT, Rational Emotive Behavioral Therapy. Yes, good, there you go, good, good. Okay, oops, I need to refresh that page. Y'all don't need to see the answers yet. <laughs> How do I refresh the page? That did not help. Stop looking at it. <laughs> there we go. Hopefully I'm doing the right thing now. Okay, good. Um, okay, so here's the idea that we are... We, we have this false idea. It, it, it is called rational emotive behavioral therapy, which lets you know they're covering all their bases. Okay, that's, that kind of covers everything right there. But um, here's, here's what they made all their money doing. Part of it is because they were able to make things... Wow. Yes, it did. It got out of control very quickly. That one? Uh-uh. Can you all see that, A? Okay, good. We'll go with that A for now. Okay. Is that we think, we think that whatever we feel, which is the consequence, we think it comes from what, what they call an activator, a cause. You can say that they worked hard to make this follow the alphabet, but an activator. So we think when something happens, if I say, if you say, I feel this, and I go, why do you feel this? What you're going to give me almost exclusively is an outside activator. Why are you nervous? Oh, because there's a storm. Or, or why are you angry? Well, because someone cut me off in traffic. Why are you irritated? Um, because my wife criticized me in front of the, uh, in public. Or why are you, you, you name it. All, all these different things. Whatever it is you're feeling, if I ask you why, you're going to give me an activator. And that is never why you're feeling what you're feeling. Um, it is straight up delusional that we think this. This would be bad enough. I remember growing up and hearing a preacher say that happiness comes from happenings. Right, So our happiness is based on our circumstances. That would be bad enough if that were true. That's not even true. 
What is true is our happiness comes from what we believe about our happenings. The truth is the activator plus what we believe. So if I say you get cut off in traffic, that's why I'm mad, and I say, oh, well, it was an, an ambulance. And then you would say, oh, well, okay, no, I'm not mad that an ambulance cut me off in traffic. They probably have a really good reason. But notice that if you believed about whoever did cut you off in traffic, that they were trying to get to the hospital, you would not be upset. The great example of this, one of the things I loved was using this. I would use this constantly when I was working out at Pine Cove. I'd use the zip line. And in fact, more than once, I got up in the middle of a counseling session and be like, you know what? We're walking. And I would walk up to the zip line and we would actually, we would have them, I'd have them zip off the zip line. How many of you have done a high ropes element or a zip line or something like that? Let me see. Okay, so whatever your version of this is, engage with this. So here's what's wild. So, you know, you go up, you climb 40 feet, 50 feet up set of stairs or something like that. And then they, then they, they harness you in and then you're supposed to step off a 50 foot wall, right? That's the plan. And people panic. I mean panic in that situation sometimes. Get get all terrified, especially if you've done some of the harder ones like the power pole, which we used to call a pamper pole, but they changed the name of it because we're a bunch of sissies. But it was was called a pamper pole because that's that's what you needed to wear if you were going to try to do the pole was a pair of pampers. And so it was that scary to do it. So you would climb up and you were supposed to jump and, and, and you get terrified of doing it. But here's what's wild. Why? Why do you get afraid to step off or to sit and slide off a 50-foot tower like that? Why are you afraid? Because you're in danger, right? That's what you believe. You believe there's great danger here, right? We're in danger. No, you're not. You're in no danger at all. No one ever gets hurt on a zip line. It just doesn't happen. You've not been that safe since you left your mother's womb. It is, it is as safe as you can be as a human is strapped in on a zip line. You're not, you're not going in. You can't hurt yourself if you try. Unless someone really messes something up, like they leave the ladder down at the bottom, that's about the only shot you've got to get hurt at that point. They could zip a Buick off of those things. They thousands of pounds of tests on, those, on every single thing, and it's all double done and all that. It's unreal. So I was out at Pineco for eight years, and at the time we were there, we had like no one ever get hurt on the zip lines. I think there was two or three reports ever of somebody getting hurt on the zip line, and every time it was getting off the ladder at the end. But you had people get hurt all the time walking to the zip line because trips and falls were the number one problem out at camp where people tripping and falling. Or, God forbid, you drive somewhere to camp. That, you were really taking your life in your hands to drive from Dallas to Tyler if you were going to camp. That was when you were in any real... But we don't feel scared there because what we believe... What is going on added to what we believe is what gives us the emotional response. And by the way, although I'm not going into this today, what we naturally try to do, so our kids embarrass us, they make us feel stupid or we feel like we don't know what we're doing or whatever in public. So what we try to do is we try to control their behavior because that always works. We try to control the activator. Your wife does something that you don't like, and you try to make her pay emotionally for doing that. Your husband fails to do something that you would want him to do, so you make him pay for that. You, you, you control the person into doing it, when the truth is what we have to learn to do is dispute the beliefs. No extra charge for that. Here's what I want to get to, and so I'm going to be disputing some of the beliefs today on, on why we don't minister. That's part of what I'm going to be getting into, is, is I want to dispute that, and again, I apologize that I won't get into all of the scriptural part of it until next week, but even just that passage we looked at from the psalm, that this is the way things are really done, that we really trust in God, and 
let him do this work. But that's going to be the solution, the, the correct belief for some of this. The ministry life, by the way, I'm going, to, I'm going to do a couple more testimonies here in a second. So, and in particular, it's going to be the idea of a saturated ministry life. Because the, the idea of the correct understanding of rest and the way that it plays out is going to have to do with, um, with living a life of rest. Not saying, um, you know, I'm going to sleep in on this day and that'll count as rest. Because it's not going to accomplish it. Instead, that we are living out a life of rest. That we are finding places to obey God and find rest for our bodies. And then through the ministry that we can do, we find refreshment for our souls. That's the idea. Is that living out ministry is where we find refreshment for our souls. You can apply this to any number of things. I was thinking about talking even more in detail about like, um, you know, the Dave Ramsey idea of money. That why, So those of you who've been through Dave Ramsey, why do you want to get ahead financially? What is the purpose for getting ahead financially? Anybody been through it? What's the purpose for getting ahead financially? So you can give. That's its purpose. That's the only rational purpose for getting ahead financially is to be generous. Everything else is either irrational or worse, immoral. Uh, well, I just want to take more care of me, more and more. I'm going to pile, stockpile more and more and more. And then, you know, you fool, God will demand your soul of you this day. That's a, we, what we do is we, that, and by the way, how much joy is there in giving? Isn't that one of the coolest things? Giving something away does not refresh your bank account, but it does refresh your soul. Resting, working may not refresh your body, but it will refresh your soul. And that's part of what, in the, in the idea of refreshment, we don't want to just learn to refocus so it, with all the different things we've had to take care of over the last year as a church, what we want to now do is refocus back in on what God has called us to. The main ministries that God has called us to. And in particular in this church, though not exclusively, it is going to be ministry in regards to young people and families. That's going to be the main things that we're looking at. That's the right thing if you want to be a part of that. So also, whether we're like, I was, we've got Believe and See that we've looked at recently, Royal Family Kids Camp, Track, Christian Women's Job Corps, um, we, we've actually had emphases on these recently that, that you can be involved in, life group ministries. And today we're looking at the Stephen ministry in particular. But before we do that, I want a couple of examples. So I need a couple of guys up here on the mics. But I just need one or two examples of, of where you would say, I have seen a life saturated with ministry, where people who, they are living this out in their lives all the time. So hopefully I gave you enough time. Let me hear a couple of examples. Get a couple of hands in the air to do those examples. Don't have a lot of time. Yes, there's one. And then I need, we need one more. Maybe someone over here jump out there. Yeah, there's one. Okay, good. Excellent. My name's Gina Hasley, and um, my husband works in the oil field. And so we've had the opportunity twice in our lifetime to live internationally. When we moved to Canada a couple of years ago, we found a church pretty quickly. And I, the very first Sunday we were there, oh, my gosh, the, it was just truly, truly amazing. It was um you know, that Holy Spirit type feel. The music was, the congregation were singing aboundingly bountiful. I don't even know how to say that. But um, I looked around the room and there was just nationalities of all different kinds. And I just thought, oh my gosh, this is a glimpse of what heaven must look like. And I was so excited about that. And then the minister, you know, that was, that was good too. But just the whole feel of the congregation was good. And so it wasn't too long after that I went to a ladies' retreat with the church. And, and I mentioned this very same testimony to the church. And one of the ladies I'd gotten to know came up and said, I'm so glad to hear you say that. We've been here for 25 years. And eight years ago, 
we found in our church that we were a predominantly white church set in a multiracial neighborhood that was changing and changing and changing. And what they noticed about their, the people around them in their neighborhood and in their community was that these were people who were afraid to step even inside the building of a Christian church. That it wasn't, they, they were afraid they would be struck down with lightning and they would, things were not going to work if they went into that building. So this church had to real, figure out a way to minister right there in their community to where people weren't afraid to walk into their church. And so um, one of the things that they did was they, uh, they checked out the income of their neighborhood and noticed it was, a very, uh, it was turning over into a very low income. And so they decided to um, ha- have people bring all, all the members of the church, bring their leftover clothes and shoes and stuff like that. And then they passed flyers out in their church and said, come get free clothes. And they handed out stuff and then the neighborhood lined up. And then the next thing they did was, which was what I became a part of and I loved, absolutely loved, was they uh, got with the government. The government was looking for large commercial kitchens because they found that uh, this same group of multiracial people were coming, bringing their parents over to take care of their kids during the day, bringing their parents over from international locations. And these people were never leaving their homes. And uh, they were concerned about these people who weren't learning the language and were never leaving their homes. And so they decided to start a program called Cooking with Friends. And so we would go into this kitchen, and it was my responsibility to help cook a meal with all with Russia and Mongolia and Korea, and all this was around our counters and around our table. And I'd say, today we're going to do cookies, and we're gonna, I need you to get out a cookie sheet. And they'd go, a sheet? Like a sheet of paper? I'd say, yeah, like a sheet of paper, but this is a cookie sheet. And they go, oh, how cool is that? That's a cookie sheet. And so, um, and, but then we would go back to church and there would be 40, I went and asked, how many nationalities go to this church now? 44 different nations within eight years of a predominantly white church 44 different nationalities were represented in this church because this church decided we're going to go out and we're going to minister and we're going to find ways to bring these people in. And I'm telling you, it was like a slice of heaven on a Sunday morning to stand there singing those praise and worship songs. We had the African group over here and they were all in their uh, African clothes. And when we did baby dedication, they all wore the same material, but everybody's outfit was different. And then when we had baptism, you would ask people, they would have to give a testimony when they were baptizing people. And at the end of baptism, you, you got to pick who you wanted to come up, pray for you and anoint you with oil. This is a Baptist church, so don't freak out on me, but it, this is what they did. But anyway, um, we would have, they would bring their family in from Columbia or wherever else. And so at the very end of the baptism, we would have prayers in all different languages going up to my Heavenly Father. Oh my gosh, how precious was that? How precious was that that I was seeing every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that He is Lord. And that was ministry being fulfilled to the max, and I loved it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to go ahead and hold off till next week <laughs> for the sake of time. We've got to get to get some other stuff. So we've got to, um, uh, and we're going to honor now the, uh, another ministry opportunity, which is the, um, uh, which is the Stephen ministry we mentioned a second ago. We want to take a second and, and comment on how 
when we, we often, one of the beliefs that we can often have is that there is a competition between the different ministry opportunities uh, in the community, in the churches, in that kind of stuff, and, and, and that is not the case. And so when we, when we hear about different opportunities like that, um, we, we want to be a part of that. I want to encourage you. So one of the ministries of the church is to care for people in very, very different ways. So whether you've got, like, for example, professional counseling, which uh, I and a number of people in the church are involved with, or, or medical help that people need to get, plenty of that here as well, pastoral counseling, friendship, discipleship, which is one of the pillars of, of who we are here, um, life groups, other specialized ministries. One is the Stephen ministry. And so we want to take a minute and we want to commission the Stephen ministers who have just gone through the training um, and so that you can see their faces, so that you can have the opportunity, you say, if you're struggling with something that a lot of times these are going to be a, a first contact that you say, I, I want to sit down and talk with somebody about this. And, and, they're, and we're going to call, go ahead and call them up. Um, the worldly mindset, again, so go ahead. If you're one of the Stephen ministry uh, people to be commissioned or involved in that, come on up. And so the, um, the idea here is that we come alongside each other. Now, these guys... Um, they have been specifically trained, like 50 hours of training that they've set aside, and they're going to be commissioned today. They're going to commit to a certain mindset of the way that they do this, and we really want to encourage them, and we want you to see their faces so that you can spot them in case you need to pull someone aside and say, hey, could you, could you maybe sit and talk to me about something? And so they're, they're really trained to listen, which most of us aren't that great at. Um, okay, so here we go. We're going to commission them. Um, I'm going to read out some of the statement here, and then... And then we're going to pray for them in just a second. Having completed the Stephen series training during the last five months, these people have been, are being commissioned as Stephen ministers and will become an important part of our caring ministry. Again, we have many wings of that. Stephen ministers provide confidential one-on-one -on -one Christian care for people experiencing challenges or crises in their lives like critical illness, grief, divorce, unemployment. I mean, honestly, you name it. Um, and so, so we've got a few of them here. Um, I will call out all their names, um, and some of them were during the first service. Probably they're working this service, and so um, they're probably over there working with kids or youth. So um, Carolyn Breedlove, um, John Breedlove, Becky Davidson, Erica Gore, Kyle Gore, Charlotte Latham, and Lana Stewart. So do you guys agree to accept the assignment of care receivers to care faithfully for them, monthly be in supervision meetings, maintain confidentiality at all times, and promote the ongoing strength and effectiveness of the Stephen ministry. Excellent. Good. Church, do you agree to support and pray for our Stephen ministers? Good. That's important. When you start getting to work, it's like joining the game. You're a whole lot more likely to get hit in the game than on the sidelines, right? Um, so we present them with name badges so that you'll be able to spot them even on Sundays and other times. And, uh, and with their, they have guidebooks as well provided by the church. And so um, Bill Heimball and Gail Craig, along with Shelly Judd, are current trained um, Stephen ministers. So again, great, a great point of contact. Get a chance to sit down and talk with them. They would love to do that. God has now called them, and they've chosen to be prepared for that. So let's, let's pray for them, um, and then we'll wrap up our time here. Lord, thank you so much um, for these men and women, God, we are so grateful for the ministry that they have dedicated themselves to. Lord, I pray that you will give them the opportunity um, to sit and listen uh, as you do so well. And I pray that you will help them to know when to speak and when to stay quiet. 
Lord, most importantly, I pray that they will trust not in their own understanding, um, but Lord, defer to you and count on your spirit to guide them. And Lord, I pray that you would um, let those opportunities um, flow. I know there are people in the church who are hurting in so many different ways, and sometimes just a chance to have a listening ear, someone who doesn't, uh, who is, their job isn't to judge, their job isn't to fix, their job is just to listen and care. God, I thank you for that. Thank you for this ministry in our church. And for Shelly, especially in her energy um, and, and calling behind this. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done and what you're doing. And we ask this in your son's magnificent name. Amen. So thank you, guys. Excellent. Um, okay, so I want to cover a couple more things in the next couple of minutes. But just, just to understand, as we talk about this stuff, I want you to hear, we're, we're not in any way minimizing the truth that tired is real. Fatigue is real. Um, now, sometimes it's self-imposed. We're not smart enough to go to bed at a reasonable hour or whatever, but, but the truth is a lot of times we're just weary. A lot of the work that God has called us to requires a lot. That being said, there is a great joy that comes in working past ourselves. There's a great joy that comes in ministering beyond what we really are probably capable of. Impossible is fun. Um, it is hard. But it's great to experience it. If you've been on the receiving end of that, where you've had to trust in God and he's pulled through for you in some cool way, it's miraculous. It's an it's amazing thing. It's, it's a cool thing to see. Um, it's not boring. Um, it is a truth to say that we are tired, absolutely. But here's some of the false things. Um, one is the idea that we'll be trapped in work for Ask Rebecca. What, what are the, uh, um, she's our executive director of ministries, and I said, what, what is what are the main reasons people give for not volunteering? So here's some of the ones she gave. I'm going to be trapped into working forever. So some people say. Now, I said like, well, yeah. Isn't, isn't that the ministry mindset? That we don't retire from ministry. Sorry, you're trapped into working forever. If you're a Christ follower, he didn't say like, hey, you know, just a few years of your time, you know, one-tenth to Jesus, I surrender. <laughs> no, all, everything. It's all of it, right? Sorry, that was a Tony Campolo reference from years back. The, that's a, this, is, this is something we are called to, a lifetime of ministry. Now, I think, though, this is what she meant, is that someone says, if I start working with the three-year-olds, I'm going to be trapped into working with the three-year-olds forever because no one will ever come in and take over for me, and I'll be stuck forever. I think that's what she was referencing. Now, um, I, I don't know that that's the case. So one, it's certainly not the case from our perspective, from the leadership and the lay leaders and whoever's in charge of that. Like you, you can go and say, like, I, I, I was going to say, I love working with these three-year-olds, but the truth is you may not. I mean, they are three-year-olds. But the, the saying, I, I would love to work in another area. What, what you don't get to do if you're going to be part of a church body is to say, you know what, I just think I'm not going to serve at all. Well, that's, that's not the purpose. I mean, the idea of being here is that we find ways to serve and to engage and to, to have an impact. Um, uh, in the first service, someone referenced Bobby Hicks in the room and said, this is a guy who he serves and he keeps serving. And, and his life is saturated with that. His life is saturated. And then Dwayne Darty was referenced. He, this is someone whose life is saturated, that, that he's, he, he's a leads, he, he leads our team of the mission team right now who they take $1 out of every 10. Out of every $10 you give to this church, one of those dollars goes into missions intentionally. Now, so do a lot of the others, but these are required to by our, by our bylaws. If these go into one, one-tenth of everything goes into missions and to encouraging people here to go on mission and to live out mission. If there's something you're passionate about. So Jeff Hunter was sharing, he's like, you know, we, we're, we're a big part of, of Young Life in Africa and 
And so uh, 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 during all of our transition, a mistake was made, and this large check to go to Young Life Africa went to Young Life Tyler. And so Jeff called Dwayne, who's in charge of that team, was like, hey, we've got a kind of a, I mean, yay, but bummer, right? What do we do with the, the Young Life Africa needs our help? And Dwayne kind of went back to the team and was like, I'm assuming this is okay, right? Yes, so the fact is our church paid for two camps in Young Life, one locally and one in Africa. There's, we get to do stuff like that. Um, maybe, maybe your idea is that you're, you don't know enough, you didn't grow up in church, or there's someone better. This sounds like humility, but the truth is it is pride. Um, it is vain to think that, that the ministry God has called you to is fundamentally about you. Um, it, it's not. If God wanted it done right, he wouldn't have asked you. I, I promise. Um, this is the way God works. Look at who he chose to be his disciples and his ministers all throughout Scripture. He could have chosen Nebuchadnezzar. He could have chosen Xerxes. He could have chosen Darius, some of the most powerful men who have ever lived on earth in their own time. And in the midst of the opportunity to choose them, God chooses Daniel. God chooses Esther. God works behind the scenes sometimes. He works with people who don't seem like the best choice because he knows better. He knows who the right choice is. God could have chosen from any of thousands of Pharisees and scribes when Jesus was on earth. And he chose 12 people, a tax collector, a zealot, and mostly a bunch of fishermen. That's who God works with. He's not dependent on us. If, if he needed it done right, he would do it himself. We are the four-year-old sent to the room to clean the room. He's not going to get a clean room out of that. And he knows that. If it had to be done right, he would do it. He would come teach all our children's ministry himself and without straining himself. But instead, he chooses us and calls us to be involved in that ministry and in those ministries because he wants to bless us with that opportunity and because he doesn't have to have it done right. We're close enough. We're underfoot, but he can make do with it. Um, God may assign something to you. You may fall in love with a ministry that you don't want to fall in love with. It may become a fire in your bones that you can't walk away from if you want to. That's between you and God. That's not the church's fault. Someone else will take care of it. That's another common one. And this is also vanity. It is vanity to believe that we have more important things to do than the ministry God has called us to. This is who we are. And we need to be involved in it. I'm too busy. There's a common one. Um, which is probably the biggest lie we tell ourselves in America nowadays. The truth is we may be um, we may be oversaturating our life with junk. Um, we, have, we, we have plenty of things that we're doing that if we stopped doing, we would have time for it. And when we say too busy, we mean NASCAR is on this afternoon, right? That's what we mean by too busy nowadays. Or my little people need to be fed on my phone, right? Those little, those little farmers, they've got to be fed by somebody. So that's what we mean when we say too busy. We have obligations, but the truth is we have a calling, um, we have a calling that is a, a prepared to do children ministry. This is us preparing children to do future ministry is a big part of our calling. We sometimes have a sense of I've paid my dues. This can be especially um, lethal among the senior citizens. This mindset of I've already done my part. I've already whatever. Sorry. That's not how this works. We have a whole generation of people who will listen to white hair. Um, they listen to white hair better than they do the rest of us. The millennial generation wants to know you've already done it that you've accomplished it. You've been married 30, 40, 50 years. Um, you've already done ministry. You've been on mission. You've done these things. When you sit down and talk with them, they listen. The rest of us, people, my generation, we have to earn their attention. We have to earn their respect. But when you've got the t-shirt already, you've already done it, and you say, hey, I, you know what? I fought. I, I took the chance. I took the risk. I whatever. 
That's awesome. That's, that's what God is calling us to. So sometimes it's a, it's a sense of control. We want to kick against the goads, perfectionism, which once again is pride. That's just about us. If I can't do it exactly right, then I shouldn't do it at all. I've joked before, my dad used to say sometimes, if something's worth doing, it's worth doing right. Well, obviously that's true, right? But the real hard thing in life is to realize sometimes if something's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. Um, sometimes poor is all you've got, but it's still the right thing to do, and you still need to do it the best you can, but sometimes with our limited resources, we, I can't buy my wife all the flowers. That doesn't mean I don't buy her some. So much of this is really, honestly, guys, is just kicking against the goad. So we talked about the yoke, the idea of the yoke hanging on your shoulders, right? And that we need to trade that out for the yoke God has for us. There's another biblical concept that fits with that called the goad. When, when, the, when Jesus called the apostle Paul, he called him and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he talks about the fact that Saul continues to kick against the goad. Well, here's the deal. Well, so when an ox or a cattle or whatever, when they've got the thing on their shoulders, you stand behind them. Sometimes they get lethargic and they don't want to keep going. And so you have a stick. Nowadays they're called cattle prods. But they, you have a stick that you just kind of poked them. Keep going. Well, some cattle get that. Oops, sorry, got to keep moving. Keep moving, keep moving. Refresh, refocus, like we've been talking about. Oh, that's right. I'm supposed to be treading this grain. Oh, that's right. I'm supposed to be hauling this, this whatever. So, but some of them kick against that goad. They kick back against that. It's a waste of energy and effort. The cow isn't going to win. This is just kicking against the goad sometimes. God is like, listen, get on with it. Move on. That's why there's a goad. That's, that's gap there. That's why the, the guy doesn't come up behind it and be like, hey, move, because then he's going to get kicked. There's a goad there. Like, no, no, come on, keep moving, keep moving. It may be that you sense in God's spirit working in your heart telling you, listen, get to work, keep moving. There's ministry to be done. And we'll talk more about this next time, next week. But one of the things, especially the moms deal with, is that you don't always feel like it. Um, it's great if you're passionate about it. But more important to me is, and more important to the kingdom, I think, is, do you know it's the right thing to do? And are you willing to do it? Are you willing to engage? Our heart follows our treasure, Jesus says. So we need to engage with our time, our, our, our energy, all that kind of stuff. Now, um, we, we've run a little bit short on time, but we're gonna, so we're going to go a little bit over today. But that's, uh, I want John, where's the, where the, the band to come up and, and lead, um, and for, to lead us in, in an extended time of, uh, of invitation so that we're prepared, that we can think, that we can um, have time to pray and listen to what God is telling us to do. However you need to respond, whether it's with a member of the staff to say, hey, you know it's time for me to volunteer. There are volunteer sign-up sheets in the back of the room. Whatever it is you need to do, whatever the Holy Spirit tells you. If you've already talked with somebody and you're ready to join the church and you've already talked with Lance and whoever else and you're ready to join, great. This would be a great time to do that. Um, but, but we're going to trust in God to lead us uh, moving forward. Um, so listen, see what God has for you today, and however you need to respond. If, you, if you're kicking against the goad because Christ is calling you, and you've never answered to that call, and you've never put your faith in him, stop. Just let him convert you. Let him bring you in. Um, there is a freedom and a joy and an adventure in the following Christ that I can't even begin to describe to you. So I hope you'll listen to what the Spirit has for you, and whatever that is, we'll respond, and we'll be praying for one, one another together in the midst of it. So, John.